Hey, my name is Brandon. And I'm Ashley. And we're members at the Bridge Church. So our story begins with the fact that we were interested in fostering, but really had no clue what that would look like for us. God just began to open our eyes to what He has given us. We have a safe house, we have family, and we recognize that God doesn't just give us blessings here so that we can sit and be comfortable. Foster care was a way that we could use what He's so graciously given us, like way more than we need, to bless someone else. While this was something that we kind of had started exploring for down the road or for the future. He was just like, why not now? And we didn't really have an answer. <laughs> Everything was not easy and, you know, it's still not easy. And we're realizing that, uh, you know, I mean, the choice to be generous, it's not like a one-time choice. You know, it's just a continuous choice to lay down your life and a continuous choice to, like, give um, of your own preferences. Difficulties are just massively overwhelmed by the joy that comes with, you know, I mean, just having uh, this wonderful little child in your life. I feel like we received the bigger blessing, yeah. which is crazy. The process of giving yourself and of opening up your home in this type of way, probably more than anything, has just abundantly reminded us of how much Jesus laid down his life for us and cared for us. That's what makes this joyful. Man, what a, what a story, what a story. That's, um, that's what it means to, uh, to be rich, to be rich. Hey, well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Man, are y'all here this morning, or is it just me? I, I don't know. Good how, how is everybody this morning? Rich. Man, it's good to see you here today. Uh, my name is Pastor Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new, we're so glad that you are here today. I'm going to be outside at the tent um, afterwards today. would love to be able to meet you um, if you are new. Um, if you've got a Bible, I want you to grab your Bible and open it to 1 Timothy, little book um, near the end of the Bible that we're going to be in for our series for, uh, that we're called, calling Rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, and we're going to be here for today as well as for next week for the duration of our series. An awesome, an awesome passage that is going to direct our time today as well as for the next couple, couple Sundays. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We'll put the verses on the screens for you, and we'll give you a Bible today in the lobby at the resource area. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to be able to give you one if you don't have one. Well, how many of you remember, just out of curiosity, um, how many of you remember uh, your very first job? You remember the first job that you had? Um, I, rem I remember mine. Um, you don't know this about me, but I am actually a fifth generation well driller um, this, this morning. I know you're like, that's kind of weird. Um, yeah, so for literally for five generations, my family has been uh, drilling wells in the ground, and I remember being a uh, in middle school, being a little kid. I think it was right after my eighth grade year of school during the summer. I would help my grandpa, my grandpa Bud. Um, they called him Grandpa Bud, and I remember helping him. We would go out during the summer, and we would drill shallow irrigation wells in order for people to have irrigation water for irrigation for their homes. I remember my very first job. Now, in complete transparency, I contributed hardly anything to uh, the process of drilling wells, but I was there. 
I was there and I was engaged. I was trying to make a difference and trying to work and earn a little bit of cash on the side. I remember after that job, um, I worked uh, in landscaping with a guy for a couple summers doing landscaping, cutting grass um, in Myrtle Beach in hot Myrtle Beach in uh, the crazy heat, 95 degrees, 100 degrees sometimes, cutting grass. That was the first time I actually learned that I am allergic to an oleander bush. Out of curiosity, anybody in the room also allergic to an oleander bush? Yeah, I had to find this out the hard way. I was wore shorts, and I remember I would weed eat every day, and I could weed eat like a maniac. I mean, I could just go around, and I could. But I, I would, I would unfortunately sometimes hit bushes, and apparently an oleander bush, the oil for some people is incredibly, uh, I, I, I guess, just. Uh, makes you itch like crazy. And, and that happened to me. It took me a few times to realize what was going on. But I remember landscaping. Just land- and then after landscaping, my job, I worked for McDowell Construction, doing remodeling on homes and such. And then I remember when I was in college and I came home for the summers during college, I worked on a construction crew for four years uh, building houses in Myrtle Beach. I worked for a guy named Jim Everman. And they would say, for whatever reason, that's Jim Everman for himself. I don't know why they said that, but that's what they said. And I remember working for Jim, and we would be building these huge houses in Myrtle Beach on stilts, three stories up in the air with plywood, full sheets of plywood, putting it down on the top of roofs, building houses. I remember working all those jobs. But the first time, I remember the first job that I had where I felt rich. The first job that I had where I felt rich, it was after college, it was my first full-time job, and I really didn't make that much money, but I was a youth pastor of a church right out of Bible college, and I worked for a church, had a full-time job, and I remember feeling, I am rich. And I felt rich because I had surplus, because I had margin, because I had excess, because I had more than enough that I needed. And many of us today um, in the room, if I asked you if you felt rich and I asked you to raise your hand, you probably wouldn't raise your hand. Because as we talked last week, all of us feel like the rich is the other guy. You know, it, it, it's the other guy. It's, it's not me. We, we don't feel rich. And perhaps some of you here today and you're in, financial, in a financially tough situation in your life, perhaps you have um, college debt that you are drowning in and you cannot wait until you get out of that. Some of you are in consumer debt. Some of you, I know, are struggling financially. But the reality is, is that pretty much every single person in the room today is rich. You know, Ethan, I don't really feel rich. How could you say to me that I am rich? Well, there's a website that I would encourage you to look at. You could even look at it during my sermon. I wouldn't get offended. There's a website that's called globalrichlist.com. Globalrichlist.com. You could even pull it up on your phone and you could actually type in your income and it would tell you on the spot what percentage uh, that you fall into as far as the wealthiest people in the world. So let's just do this one. Imagine... Imagine you're here today and you, make, uh, you have a full-time job and you make $10 an hour, all right? So $10 an hour, you work hard, you're at a full-time job. Guess which percentage you fall in of the richest people in the world. You would be in the top 4% richest people in the world. Now, let's just take it up a notch. 
the median household income in Wilmington is $42,000, which the median means the just very middle of all the people that live in Wilmington, the exact middle of the average of the person, the household in Wilmington uh, makes $42,000 a year. So if that is you, if today you make $42,000 a year, you are in the top 1% richest people on the planet. Now, some of you um, perhaps are like, that still doesn't convince you. All right, I'll try to convince you this way. Let's say that you are a person that's here today, regardless of what you make. Uh, let's say that you're working hard. Uh, let's say you even make minimum, minimum wage. Um, but let's just say whatever your income is, imagine that you work 40 hours a week. I know that some of you work more than 40 hours a week. I do as well. But let's just say you work 40 hours a week. You're putting in your hard-earned, uh, hard time in to get your earnings. Um, let's just say as well, in addition to 40 hours a week, that you sleep um, eight hours a night. And like, Ethan, who sleeps eight hours a night? I know, I know. But let's just say we got eight hours a night uh, times seven. What is that? Y'all aren't good at math. Um, all right, so 8 times 7, 56 plus 40. And so totally, uh, to, or totality so far, you have 56 plus 40 hours. That is a grand total of 96 hours a week that is committed of your time. Guess what that means? There's 168 hours in a week, which if my math is correct, that means uh, 72 hours, I believe, of your time every week is absolutely free for you to do whatever you want to with it. 72 hours, so you work 40 hours a week, you sleep eight hours a night, you have 72 hours a week to do whatever you want to with it. Now, obviously, we have obligated ourselves to different things for that time, but you have the choice to decide what you want to do with 72 hours a week, of, uh, 72 hours of your time each, each week. Now, here's, here's, here's why that, that, that's crazy. Um, that is absolutely unheard of in most places around the world. I mean, that you actually have that ability to choose what to do with your time. So for instance, uh, this past summer, my wife and I, we went to Haiti. We partner with an organization there, Haiti, Haiti Awake. And several of you, I see some of you have been there over the past a couple years. And we partner with them, and we've been able to go the last couple summers. Last, uh, this past trip, we traveled up to the top of a mountain in a small remote village outside of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I remember um, as we were traveling up that mountainside, we're in the back of a tap-tap, uh, tap Tap is a little truck where everybody just jumps in the back. It's crazy. I mean, literally like four-cylinder, short-bed Toyota pickup truck that has like 47 people in the back of it. It's absolutely nuts. And I'm, that's a little bit of an overestimation, but not much. And it's called a Tap Tap um, because if you want to hop on it, you tap it on the side, Tap Tap. And the driver stops, and you hop in the back with everybody else with dozens of people. And then whenever you've gotten to your destination, you're ready to get off, you Tap Tap again, and you can get off. Well, we were in the back of this tap-tap going up into the top of a mountain, and I remember when we got there, it was a little village with several different little homes, and we were partnering with a church that was doing some ministry that week, and it was an amazing experience, especially the tarantulas, huge uh, tarantulas. Uh, one was like two feet from my wife's head one time, uh, but I saved her life, um, and so that's why she loves me so much. And um, while we were there, I was, I was so amazed and blown away by the women I didn't see the men much because they went somewhere else. But the women there, the way that they worked, I mean, they worked incredibly hard. It was crazy. So Haiti is one of the most impoverished countries in the world. And this particular village that we're in is probably one of the most impoverished villages in Haiti. And they would wake up before the sun would come up. 
they would wake up, maybe they had an alarm, I don't know how they did it, but they would wake up early and we could hear them while we were still sleeping, us lazy Americans. And we could hear them working and beginning and to prepare for the day. And then they would work throughout the entire day preparing meals and working in the garden and working with the clothes and things uh, around the, the property that they were at. And then they would work long in, into the evening making sure that everything was taken care of and making sure that everything was wrapped away for the day. And then at the very end of the day, they would perhaps have a half an hour or so to themselves with their family before they would go back to bed and do it all over again. See, you have the unbelievable privilege to have 72 hours a week to do whatever you want to do. See, we live, as I said last week, in the richest moment, the richest nation in the history of the world. We sit here today and we are unbelievably blessed. If you've never traveled to a third world country, you should, just for the sake of perspective, just to see the ways that we are unbelievably blessed. And then Paul gives us this passage, gives us this letter, and he says he writes it to the rich. Guess who he's writing to? He's writing to me and you. And this is what he says. I'm going to read the verses and then we're going to park on verse 18. He says this. As for the rich in this present age, that's not me, Ethan. Yes, it is. As for the rich in this present age, charge them. Some of your translations say command them. Charge them not to be haughty or to be arrogant about their wealth, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, which means to put your stock, to put your weight, to put your soul on riches, on your stuff, but rather to put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What we said last week, the short version of it, is don't put your hope in your provision, put your hope in the provider. Don't put your hope in the provision, put your hope in the provider. Because it's only in God as your provider that you're able to enjoy the things that you are able to enjoy. Verse 18, so what are they supposed to do? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life, of that which is truly life. Paul tells us the recipe for how to not have your hope tied up in your stuff, in your things, but rather how to have your hope tied up in God. What does he say? He says, let it go. He says, let it go. He says, tell them, charge them, command them to be rich in good works, to do good, to be generous, and to be ready to share, which means if you're rich, it's about being generous, it's about sharing, it's about giving, it's about letting go of what is in your hands, having open hands to God and open hands to other people. It'll absolutely change your life. Here's, I'll say it this way. Being rich isn't about what you can get, but what you can give. Being rich isn't primarily about what you can get with your wealth. It's about what you can give with your wealth. Now, here's here's the reality. All of us struggle with this. All of us have a hard time with this, even myself. Like, so when I think about my own income, when I think about my own wealth, like, now think about wanting to get a raise, thinking about wanting to increase my salary, to increase my income. Why do I want to do that? It's because I want to get stuff that I can't get otherwise without the money, right? Right? So my wife and I, we want to add a front porch to our house. Going to cost a few grand for that. I'm thinking, man, if, if we could save, if I had a little bit of money, maybe if I made a little bit more money, we could go ahead and do that, um, that house renovation that we want to do. 
Um, we, we, I, I think about my money, about the things that I can do. So for those of you who know me, I've got a 1971 C10 pickup truck that is just sweet. I mean, it is it is amazing, and, and I, I've been thinking about what I want to do to it, and so uh, th- for my birthday this past September and Christmas, I've convinced my wife to save up all of my money from birthday and Christmas and in order to put it towards some new wheels on the truck. I'm going to get some new shiny chrome wheels. Like, See, my heart, it just naturally, it, it thinks about um, what I can get with, with my wealth. Like you, you want to raise, you, you want to have more money because if you're thinking the things that you can get, the bigger house that you can have, the nicer car, the things that you can provide for your family, uh, that's why we normally, but Paul says, Paul says being rich is not primarily about what you can get, but what you can give. How many of you wake up in the morning and you're like, man, I wish I made more money because if I made more money, I'd be able to give more to other people. See, our hearts Our hearts want to get rich, but our hearts don't know how to be rich. And the reality is that most people in America who are rich don't actually know how to be rich. And Paul is writing to us not for condemnation's sake, not for guilt's sake. He's writing to us to free us. He's writing to us to free us of our enslavement, of our bondage to American individualism and consumerism. He's writing to free us. He's writing to tell us that being rich isn't about what you can get, but it is about what you can give. He says to be generous. The word generous, literally in the original language, it means to be liberal in how you give. Liberal, not politically speaking, not not theologically speaking. Liberal means in excess. It means in abundantly. It means to be able to give, to be generous liberally, to uh, give much of what you have. He also says to be ready to share. Be eager and willing to share. How many of you, you look for opportunities to give your money away? How many of you like can't wait for someone to stop you on the sidewalk and ask you for your money because you were looking for an opportunity to give? That's not me. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but my heart doesn't typically do that. But he says we need to be people that have generous hearts with what we have been, that are looking for opportunities to share. Now I have to um, talk about my wife here for a minute because she's not here uh, today. Now, um, my wife, and this is actually a, a, a good story. Um, I was so encouraged by my wife uh, this, this past week. Um, she has been out of town for the past two weekends, which means I have been on daddy duty uh, for two weekends, and I'm alive. I'm here. I'm surviving. And uh, she was gone last weekend for a uh, holiday show uh, where she and a friend got a booth. They were vendors, made crafts, sold a bunch of stuff um, that I really don't care about, but you know, may, had some stuff that they made, cool, crafty stuff, and they were selling for holiday, whatever. Here's the cool thing they did well. Um, they actually covered all of their expenses, which I was, thank you, Jesus. It didn't cost me any money for her to go to the holiday show. Not only did they cover their expenses, but they also actually made some money. They, they made several hundred dollars, maybe even by now a, a grand or two. And here's what is so, oh, I'm so encouraged by my, my wife. She texts me after the holiday show, and she said, we did pretty good, and I've been thinking about um, how God blessed us, and I'm thinking I want to give X dollars, and I won't tell you the amount because it's not about the amount, but it was significant. She said, I feel like I want to give X dollars towards Christmas for the city this year, which is, which is awesome. She, she is receiving, she's being blessed. 
She's worked hard, but she's being blessed. God blessed her in that effort, and she received resources. And one of her first thoughts was, how can I use these resources and give towards other people and to give towards things that are worthwhile in the kingdom of God? See, we, we're doing, we do, every year we do this thing called Christmas for the City. We do it unashamedly. It's an initiative, it's a generosity initiative where we give, every single one of us, we, we encourage you to give towards Christmas for the city, which goes outside the Bridge Church. We don't keep it any for our, 100% of it goes outside of the church, locally, towards our city and organizations and ministries in our city, nationally to church planning and organizations nationally and to international church planning and missionaries and initiatives that we're doing, even in places like uh, Haiti. It's Christmas for the city. It's, uh, Americans give 600, over $600 billion. They spend $600 billion in the Christmas season on themselves for the holidays. What if Christians used the Christmas season to really be about what Jesus was about, why he came in the first place, which is his mission of helping people know him and love him and follow him? What if Christians gave that way? And so we, we say, hey, this Christmas, give your best gift to Jesus this year. I don't, I don't care how much it is, but why don't you just give your best gift to Jesus this year? Why don't you train your heart? Why don't you orient your heart this year in the holiday season to make the biggest bang with your efforts and with your resources towards the kingdom of God? And so my, my, my family and I, we love this. We, we do this every year now. We, we sit down and we talk about Christmas for the city and the things that we get to be a part of and, and what we want to give towards that. My wife is already leading the way with a giving towards this. See, God blesses us. God makes us rich. God gives us these opportunities so that we can give, so that we have the resources to make a difference in people's lives. And Paul tells us, he says, be ready to share. Now, this is going to absolutely, this is going to blow your mind if you've never seen this before. Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2, if I can find it there. It's like a sword drill. Anybody grow up in church and do sword drills? Yeah. Um, I wasn't super good at it, but um, I found this one pretty quickly. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through uh, 47, it says this about the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking of the bread and the prayers. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, like God was showing up in that church. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Commonality of their resources. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. All right, that's just insane. All right, let's just acknowledge that is absolutely crazy. It'd be like me and you. We're in church together. We are believers together. We are in relationship as the church together. Let's say you can't pay your rent uh, this, uh, this month, falling on hard times, a victim of a hard situation. If we were back in the early church, I would sell my iPhone so that you could pay your rent this month. That's crazy. That's crazy. They were so tied to God and his mission and not tied to their stuff that they were willing to give it away at any moment's notice. They were so tied to God and what God was doing in and around them and through them that their stuff really didn't matter to them anymore. Like, my heart is so tied to my stuff right now. I can't think of, uh, uh, I can't even imagine, like, selling my iPhone for you. <laughs> and I love you. But, like, I can't even imagine that. Con I can't imagine selling a house 
selling a car, selling some kind of extra thing, that I, selling my Takamini guitar that's hanging in my sunroom at my house right now for you. Like, I can't imagine doing that. These early believers, they were rich, but they were rich in good works and good deeds. They were rich in a different way than, than we are. They weren't just trying to get rich. They were trying to be rich. They were trying to be rich. I love the way that Paul says it in Acts 20, 35. He says this, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That word there for blessed, you could translate it as happy. Jesus is essentially saying, you know the way that you're really going to be happy? You'd be happier if you give more than you receive. Now, we have a hard time with that, but you know that it's true. Remember the last time that you got something special, you gave a gift to a friend, perhaps your spouse, perhaps a child, perhaps a parent, grandparent, grandchild. Remember that you saved up for it, perhaps maybe you worked hard to make it and create it, perhaps you're crafty and decided that you would make the gift yourself. Do you remember when the time came to give it to them? Perhaps it was their birthday, perhaps it was an anniversary, perhaps it was Christmas, and you remember you actually gave them the gift? Do you remember the feeling that you had when you gave it to them? Were you devastated that you just gave them a gift? Were you wrecked, you know, that you've gave up on something that was dear to you for someone else? No. That moment was amazing. That moment was beautiful. In that moment, you even got more than what you gave. In that moment, you realize, wow, it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus has designed us that way. Jesus has designed you to be a conduit of his grace. That his grace flows through you to other people. And some of us aren't a conduit. Some of us are a dam. Like, did he just say dam in church? I said it in the appropriate way. <laughs> you can say it this way. You don't want to be a dam for God. You want to be a conduit for God. Like, you want God to be able to move in and through you. You don't want his grace to stop with you. And when I look at my life, sometimes I, I feel like it's for me. Sometimes I look at my, my life and the things that I do. Like it's all about me and my own kingdom and my house and my backyard, which is a sweet backyard with a fence and Edison bulbs and a fire pit. I love it. But I feel sometimes I get caught up in my life and my stuff. It's about me. When God wants me to be a conduit of his grace, God wants me to be the conduit for his gifts and for his goods and be generous to other people. See, all of us this morning, we are either operating out of greed or we're operating out of generosity. It'd be a good conversation for you today on the way to lunch, which by the way, you will drive a vehicle to lunch today and eat whatever you want to eat there. And at that table, when other people are serving you food, you should have the conversation, are we being generous with what we have or are we being greedy with what we have? Because the blessed life, the good life, is being generous with what God has given us. Amen. I'll say this as well. The primary reason God blesses you is not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. The main reason why God blesses you today isn't so that you can get that bigger house. Isn't so that you can get that next car. And I, I'm okay if you have a big house, like, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Um, you have a nice car, you shouldn't feel bad about that. Um, the people throughout the entire scriptures that were unbelievably blessed and, and wealthy. But 
God doesn't bless you primarily to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. Like, what about the next time you get a raise? Rather than think about the nicer car that you could get, think about what you could give. Like, rather than think about the next upgrade that you could do at your house, if you get a raise, if you get a bonus this year, wow, what could I do with my bonus to give that away? What if some of you here today gave 100% of your bonus away this year? What if, what if, you, what if you gave it away? Now, under, understand financial prudency and wisdom and understand long-term plans. And Proverbs says a lot about storing and saving and investing and being wise. I, I, totally, I totally get that. But at the end of the day, God does not bless you to primarily increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving. Like, when, when are you going to be content with a salary? Like, when are you going to be content with a certain square footage of your house? When are you going to be content with a certain vehicle? Or is it always going to have to be the better one? Always going to have to be the bigger one? Always going to have to be the next one? What if you and your spouse, or what if you as an individual decided, this is the level of income that I am going to choose to be content with, and anything above and beyond that God blesses with that, we're going to use specifically for kingdom resources. So like, we're going to live off of $50,000, we're going to live off of $75,000, we're going to live off of whatever, $100,000, whatever it is, and said, this is going to be our standard of living, and anything that God blesses us with us is going to be a standard of giving that we're going to give away. Because at the end of the day, you've got to be content. If you never reach contentment, you'll never reach blessedness in your life. And Paul says we've got to be rich in generosity and good works. Now, here's how I'll wrap up today. Um, I want to do for you a couple things. Giving the wrong way and then giving God's way. Giving the wrong way and then giving God's way. All right, so this is going to be a little bit fun, okay? Giving the wrong way. Here's number one, lottery giver. All right, some of you in here today, you are the lottery giver. One day, when I win the lottery, on that day, then I'm going to be generous and I'll give some of my money away. We've all, we've all said that the lottery giver is a one-day giver. It's a someday giver. It's, oh, that day I will give rather than today. That's a lottery giver. How about the leftover giver? The leftover giver. Let me just see if I have anything else left to be generous with. You just, how many of you actually don't like eating leftovers, but you give God your leftovers? Like the leftover giver says, well, I'll just wait to see what I have left and then I will be generous, which means you're not making generosity a priority. Or about this one, the lying giver. The lying giver. This is the person that doesn't necessarily lie to others, but you lie to yourself. You have a good heart, and at the end of the day, you want to be able to give, um, and you tell yourself you're going to give, but it actually never happens because you don't actually follow through. How about this one? The lazy giver. The lazy giver has a good heart and wants to help other people and be generous with his or her money, but the lazy giver has no clue where the money is going. They do not have a budget. They are not disciplined. They are not like the ant in Proverbs with their finances. And rather than tell their money where to go, they just watch where it goes. They're lazy at the end of the day with their giving. And then here's the last one, number five, limited, a limited giver. The limited giver also has a great heart and wants to be generous, but is drowning in so much debt that they feel like there's no way they could actually be generous. And I'll just want to say that some of us, the issue with many of us is that we are limited. Now, I recognize there is a place for a mortgage, 
And being in that kind of debt, I recognize that there are student loans sometimes that are unavoidable and some debt that sometimes is unavoidable. But the reason why many of us are in debt is because we want things that we can't afford. And we aren't content with living in a certain, within our means, and we have to actually try to exceed our means in order to get things that we don't need. We're limited. But what about giving God's way? What does it mean to give God's way? There's a card that's on your seat. I want you to grab it. It looks kind of like this. This is giving God's way. We believe that this is, as elders, this is the biblical framework for how you should consider your generosity. There is a lot of debate within the church. Should we give a tithe? Does God require the tithe and the 10% and this and that? Um, We actually don't uh, mandate biblically as a church the tithe. This is what we believe that biblical generosity looks like. This is what it means to give God's way. Number one, joyful. It's like when you give, you smile. Does anybody smile when you give? Like, is that fun for you? 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says God um, loves a cheerful giver. Like, God loves it when there's a smile on your face whenever you give. That you should give joyfully. We give in response to Christ giving to us. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. We give because God has been unbelievably generous to us, and so we willingly and we gladly give joyfully. The next one is radical. Radical. We look at the early church continually, repeatedly, emphatically. They were radical about their giving. And that's why a percentage doesn't really uh, make sense for most of us. Sometimes we see Jesus, he commanded one guy to give 100% of his income away. One time, another time, Jesus commands uh, someone to give 50% of their income away. And then another time, he encourages a 10% of their income. We believe that the giving should be radical, which means for some of you, 1% of your giving would absolutely be radical right now in this season. That God would look at your heart and that would be a radical offering and sacrifice to God. And some of you, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take 20%, 30%, maybe even more to be radical in your giving because of the way that God has blessed you. Reminds me of a story of a widow. Jesus tells the story of one day he goes into the temple. It's funny, Jesus is hanging out in the temple, and there's a few other religious leaders, and they're watching people that, that come by, and some of the religious leaders, they get out their big fat checkbook, checkbook in front of everybody, and they, they write out in big numbers their offering to God so that everybody else can see it and so that everybody can pat them on the back for how much money that they give. It was a large sum of money, and they put that in the plate, and they, they uh, walk all, all, all pious as they walk out of the temple. And then Jesus says there was a widow, a, a, a little old widow, and she walks in all by herself, and she reaches in her pocket, and she takes out two copper coins, which is insignificant, almost nothing in their day, and she takes her two copper coins, and she puts them in the giving and the offering and the contribution, and then she walks away, and Jesus gets to the other religious leaders together, and he says, that widow gave more than everybody else combined. How could he say that? The reason that he could say that was not because of the amount, but because of the attitude of her heart, that she was being radical in her generosity. And for some of you, you have to figure out what radical means. This is what I put on here. We give until it stings. Uh, some of you aren't radical because it doesn't sting. It doesn't really make a difference. You don't even really feel it. You don't even see it. Radical generosity means you give until it stings. You're being sacrificial towards God. Here's the other one, regular. Number three is regular. It means a habit of generosity. Look through the entire scriptures. You see a principle of first fruits. 
which means you give whenever you receive something. When God blesses you with resources, you give uh, immediately. You give on the front end, the first fruits, not at the back end, not leftovers. You give your first fruits to God. Regular means you're a habit of generosity. Prayerful means you ask God. We ask God what we should give. I can't tell you what God wants you to give. I can't tell you a percentage. I can't tell you a dollar amount. You just have to give prayerfully. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 says that you pray and you ask God. Each, each of you give as according to as God has told you is, is what it says. We give prayerfully. And then locally. Locally, that, that means to the local church. That means to our family. This is a family. This is a body of people. And I give, I give outside of the church to other organizations and to other things, and you probably do as well. But the, we see in Scripture there's a priority for our family and for our body of people, which means we give and we contribute to one another, specifically to the Bridge Church. And some of you are in a place where you don't have the ability to contribute. Literally, you don't have the ability. In those moments, we contribute to you. We have people all the time that are going through hardships, that are going through struggles. We've paid for rent before. We've paid for fuel. We've paid for food. We've paid for clothes. For people that are in our body, that are in our congregation, covenant members that are in need. We, we give to you because we're family and that you should give locally. Now, some of you today, you're like, Ethan, this is a lot for me today. This is a lot for me to stomach. I don't really feel rich today. I don't really feel like I have a whole lot of money. I don't even really feel like I want to be generous today. I don't even feel like I want to give anything today. What would you say to me? At the bridge, we are for Christ, which means it's all about Jesus, which means I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to challenge you to give because of the way that Jesus has given to you. Scriptures say, Christ, though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Paul says, that's why you give. That's why you're generous. You today, here, every single one of you, were spiritually in poverty, bankrupt before God, had nothing to contribute to God, were completely out of resources before a holy God. And God, in Christ, emptied himself of all of his spiritual wealth and entered human history and human form and took on your poverty. He took on your sin. He took on your shame so that you, through his poverty, might become rich and experience the riches of God. And we give not because we have to. Like, this is not a ploy to get your money. We say, we, we talk about giving not because of uh, what we want from you, but because of what we want for you. Like, we don't need your, your money today. The church isn't like in a bad position. Honestly, last week, the last seven days, um, was our highest uh, giving week that we've had in the history of our church, which is amazing. And we, I, don't, I don't talk about this because of what I need from, from you. The church is going to do, do fine. The church is going to do fine if for whatever reason you don't have the ability to give. I'm saying this, I'm teaching this because it is for your good that God doesn't want you to be enslaved to the bondage of American consumerism and individualism. He wants you to be free of that. He wants you to live the true life, the full life, giving life, a generous life. And plus, Jesus was generous to you, Un believably generous to you how in the world could you not be generous to others church we're going to be a generous church we're going to continue to be a generous church what if every single person at the bridge decided that they were going to be generous with what god gave them imagine the way it would change our city imagine the way that it would change our neighborhoods our schools 
Imagine the amount of resources that we could give and we could devote to our city and to our schools and to those who are underprivileged youth and persons of need. Our city would say, I'm glad the Bridge Church is here because if they weren't here, man, we would have to make up the difference. That's what we're going to be, church. We're going to be a generous church. We're going to not just get rich, uh, we're going to be rich. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and how it moves us and encourages us in our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would help us to be, to be rich, to not just be so concerned about getting rich, but to be rich and to walk in the freedom of generosity, to walk in the new life of giving and being ready to share and generous as you have instructed us. So God, would you do this work in our hearts? We submit it to you in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.